0: All right, tonight let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 14 again. Uh, We'll be looking at the first missionary journey, part two. Now, I'm uh, taking the high school students, this last couple of Bible classes and even junior high students, through a uh, professor out of Indiana. He has gone to the modern day country of Turkey and uh, he has walked the ancient Roman roads to a lot of the cities that the Apostle Paul would have traveled on. Um, but it's, it's not something that you're going to do as a believer, not unless you have a, um, a wilderness, uh, you know, bent in your bones to, to hike through unexplored territory. Uh, this professor has actually... Discovered uh, ancient ruins and synagogues that no one has seen in thousands of years, and he's photographed them and released them. And so it's very crucial in our understanding of what the Apostle Paul was doing six or eight years of his life before Barnabas came and looked for him. Uh, Paul was establishing churches there in what is known as rough Cilicia. So if you want to look it up on, uh, I think it's on, yeah, it is Amazon. It's called The Last Apostle. And it's a couple of hours long, but it's very informative. And I think it would really help you to understand the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And so at the end, uh, where I'm at right now, I think I'm at the one hour and 20, 20 minute mark to about an hour and 45 minutes. Those 25 minutes, he's talking about the cities that the Apostle Paul went on his first missionary journey. And so you get to see a lot of the uh, pictures of the actual cities, the roads, uh, some of the ruins where the Apostle Paul would have seen uh, in, it, in its glory, the, the city, those cities in all of their glory. So tonight, um, we're going to uh, look here at uh, just a couple of different points and then review uh, some of the chapter, the principles at the end. So last week, what we looked at... Um, was the Spirit-led decision in chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, when the Holy Spirit said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I am called. And we need to allow Christ to live his life through us that we would be willing to go if he asks us to take the gospel uh, abroad. Uh, Then we looked at the city of Paphos, uh, which was satanic-inspired deception, uh, we uh, showed you a couple of stones with the inscription of the uh, proconsul Sergius Paulus, um, and one of the reasons why Paul in chapter 14 is going where he's going uh, is because Sergius Paulus is from uh, Antioch Pisidia, where we're going to talk about tonight, and most likely he was sending Paul there by request to go share the gospel with his family. Isn't that interesting how a new believer right away has a burden for his family? But the satanic deception that was there was uh, Elmias, the the sorcerer, trying to deceive the proconsul and not listening to the message of the gospel. Of course, Paul does a miracle and blinds the sorcerer. And then through this miracle, Sergius Paulus believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we looked at Perga, which was serious desertion. And so they left the island of Cyprus, they got into rough Cilicia, and uh, as they leave the coastal regions, um, they were most likely talking to the locals about what lies ahead on the road to Antioch, Poseidon, and um, they were very rugged mountain climb, and the roads were filled with all kinds of adversity, not only was the... The climb into the Anatonian highlands, uh, very difficult, but it was filled with, well, bandits, robbers, thieves, uh, trying to plunder parties that would go along the road. And perhaps John Mark was saying, you know, I didn't actually sign up for that. I don't think I'm going to be part of this trip. And so he deserts uh, Paul and Barnabas. And of course, later, when they want to go out on their second missionary journey, this causes a major dissension between Paul and Barnabas and ends up in the formation of two teams. But the application that we took away from that is if we make a commitment to the Lord, then follow through on it. Don't pull out. And so uh, if you make a promise, you keep the promise, even if it leads to your hurt because you know that there's a sovereign God that has plans for your life. All right, so tonight we start in chapter 14 and... We continue on with the, uh, the first part of the missionary journey. Now what's going to happen is they, they kind of do the letter L and then reverse it and come back. So you might call it an out and back instead of a loop. And um, it, it's amazing that they would actually go back to the cities where they encounter some trouble. But in our first city, the missionaries suffer for Christ. And so let's look here at I, uh, Iconium and verses one through twenty, and it came to pass in Iconium uh, that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake. In a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Gentile or the Greeks, Gentiles believed. Now, remember, the first missionary journey is a major expansion of the gospel to non-Jewish culture. This has taken about fifty years for the Jewish believers to open themselves to the reality that, yes, God is concerned for Gentile souls and wants them to believe as well. So this is a very exciting transition within the book of Acts. And so unbelieving Jews and Gentiles um, believed on the Lord. Verse 2, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil-affected against the brethren. So that's satanic opposition there once again. Um, Remember, Ephesians chapter 6 talks about sharing the gospel is part of spiritual warfare. And so the devil's not going to be happy if you're a Christian who's witnessing and inviting people to hear about Jesus. Expect opposition and endure hardness as a good soldier. So verse 3, Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made by uh, both the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. All right, so there's this plan. All right, we're gonna kill them. So when the believers find out, uh, verse 6, then they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and to Derbe, cities of uh, Lake Laconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there also they preached the gospel. So it doesn't tell us what happened in these cities other than the fact that they preached the gospel. Don't get discouraged when you give a gospel track. When you have a long talk on spiritual topics with a coworker, and it seems like nothing's coming as a result of an effort. Because sometimes all God is asking you to do is just to sow for the very first time. Now I'll be honest with you, I think America is turning this way. California's been this way for at least 20 years where sowing the gospel, sometimes when you share it, it's the very first time that a person has ever heard the good news that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and that through faith in the Lord you can be saved. So share the gospel, leave the results in the Lord's hands, because here it just says they preach the gospel, and then it moves on. All right, so here we go, verse 8. And there were certain men at Lystra... Uh, "...impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak unto uh, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods cometh down to us in the likeness of men." And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. And so if you know anything about Mercury, he's the messenger god, okay? And then Barnabas uh, was Jupiter or the superior god. And so then the priest of Jupiter, which uh, was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Now, is this something that, as Christians, we should say, hey, that's pretty cool, they want to join in with us here, and they want to worship our God, but just in the way that they understand? Is that what we should say? All right. So this is really a, a, a terrible tragedy that has taken place in many parts of the world, um, With so-called Christian missions, the Virgin of Guadalupe is a pagan deity, a goddess that has been wedded to the concept of the Virgin Mary, Uh, Diana of Ephesus, married to the concept of that. And uh, then you go in and you look at, at what happened in Northern Europe and how the church took the pagan practices And said, all right, let's use that to our advantage. But that's not what we'll see the apostles do here. So verse 14, which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth And the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And there came hither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, having stoned Paul, drew him out from the city, supposing that he had been dead. All right, so here's a, a few things uh, to note about the way that Paul preaches to pagans. All right. First of all, I'm a human being. I, I'm not a god, um, The true and the living God, he did the miracle. I'm just a man like you. And there's a creator who has created us. And in his goodness, his common grace, has taken care of our material needs. He's allowed the seasons to take place and to let the earth bring forth abundantly, and we've been fed and we're happy. This is what we call the benevolence of God. Would you say that word with me? Benevolence. So this is the goodness of God and common grace. So the apostle is addressing that. But then he's trying to tell them more specifically and pointedly. Now, the true and the living God would not approve of this. This is vanity. This is empty. Do you think at that point the apostle Paul won a lot of friends? When... The high priest of Jupiter is there. And he, he's essentially saying, your religion is empty. It means nothing. I, I think some people got angry. And then the timing of the devil sends in the discontented, unbelieving Jews from the previous two cities. And they stir up the crowd. And they take Paul and they stone him. It means they picked up rocks and threw them at his body and hit him repeatedly until they thought that he was dead, and most likely he was. And God did a miracle in raising Paul. And so, uh, they're suffering for Christ. One of the biggest mistakes that we can ever make is to tell a new Christian, you just don't know how good you'll have it with Jesus. It's going to be a dozen roses without the thorns on the stems. All right? All right. Uh, life is going to be so rosy and so good. You know what's going to happen? Right away, the devil is going to pressure them. He's going to sift their faith like he tried to do with Peter. So you need to pray for new believers because the devil is out to shake them up, to to get to them, to cause them to leave Christ. And um, can you imagine the new Christians that Paul has just won to the Lord, what would their reaction to this be? Are they going to be quiet? This guy who just came and told us about the creator of God, God couldn't protect him? Hmm. All right. So some very interesting things. We need to understand that we're going to suffer. As a matter of fact, the scripture says... All of those that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Perhaps that suffering, uh, you don't think of it as a form of suffering, but um, being rejected, uh, being told forcefully, no, I don't want to hear it. That's a form of suffering. Resisting temptation is a a form of suffering, uh, as well as the outright persecution that we face from unbelievers. And so I know that when my mother became a Christian, there was a lot of dissatisfaction uh, in her home that she had become a Christian. Brothers and sisters and uh, stepmother and so forth were not happy that she had become a Christian. And so God did allow Paul to do a great miracle here. And so this man that was lame from birth was healed uh, because he perceived that he had faith. So he had obviously been listening to the message of Christ And Paul perceived that in him and did the miracle. Now, um, if you were to compare the sermons and the preaching style of the Apostle between how he dealt with the synagogue and the Gentiles, there's a complete different way. So when you're dealing with someone who is biblically illiterate, there's a different way to handle that background. So as you share the gospel, let me tell you this, customize it. And this is what the apostle's are doing. So those that were biblically literate, like the Jews, they understood their national history, the, the, the sovereignty of God and all of their history, and so forth. So Paul went and, and shared at that common starting point. And Paul was just basically saying to these people, I'm a human being just like you, and there's a God And he created. The Bible never defends the existence of God. It just states it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that will be radical in the country in which we live. And you explain origins in a very succinct and simple way. And that we're responsible to the creator. Well, that's going to get some interest going right away. So notice how the, the apostle did this. Now, Paul's message was rejected, and the people stoned him and left him for dead. Um, turn over in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 25. Um, he says here, once I was stoned, uh, meaning that he was killed, most likely, and God did a miracle in, in bringing him back. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 17, he mentions brands or marks that he had on his body because of his sufferings for Christ. And so here we, we must understand that there can be suffering for Christ. Um, perhaps, as some Bible students think, uh, this is the time where Paul, uh, talking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 4, Um, says that he went to heaven, the third heaven, perhaps this is the time uh, where that had taken place. Now, let's go down verses 21 through 24. Well, let's look at 20. Howbeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and then to Antioch, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. All right, so here's our proposition for the series again. uh, Let Christ live his life through yours, and then here's a map, and so you can see Up here, uh, where these cities are, so let me see, do I have a pointer here? No? Okay, I don't have a pointer. Um, But they're going from uh, Cyprus, Paphos, and then went up here, and then they're going straight north, and then they turned over to Iconium and to Derbe. And from Derbe, then, they reverse the course And so the missionaries then in verses 21 through 24, they confirm the churches. So evangelism is not enough. There must be teaching and encouragement from the Bible. So I would like us tonight to join together in an understanding what a need of Calvary Baptist Church is. Yes, we need to share the gospel, but that will be insufficient. We must teach and encourage the new Christians. And to do so, we have to invest our lives in their lives. Building and maintaining and seeing a New Testament church prosper is not a convenient thing to do in life. It will cost us time and energy. We will be tired. It will exhaust us. But this is what the apostles did. So the Apostle Paul established local churches wherever God led him. The local church then should be able to uh, be fed the word of God. Now as I was watching uh, this professor move to these different locations, it, it opened up an understanding and appreciation for me. The first time the gospel has ever been heard in a city... And all you had at that point was the inspired teachings of an apostle. But yet no letters have been written. So how are you strengthened and established and confirmed in your faith? Well, the apostle Paul came back through their cities. Even Lystra, where he was stoned and left for dead, he went back there maybe a couple years later So this missionary journey could have taken anywhere from two to four years. And so maybe he spent some time in Derbe uh, where maybe the political scene in uh, Lystra had changed. But Paul and Barnabas were not thinking of themselves, but of these new Christians who needed spiritual help and guidance. The real great commission is to make disciples and to teach them. And so if you stop and you think about it, on their return journey, if you see the purple, um, they bypassed, or at least Barnabas did, he bypassed home. All right? So he didn't go home and take time to rest up with home. They were busy um, confirming the churches. And so here uh, they appointed the, the leadership. And so if you read, Uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, um, they appointed leadership. And 1 Timothy 3, they gave instructions on how uh, churches should evaluate pastors and deacons. And so this is the first time that you have a New Testament church. You need guidance. Well, here's the reality. Uh, In the life of any New Testament church, there's going to be seasons and cycles where you invest in leadership, but when you invest in trained leaders, what do you think God wants to do with trained leaders? He wants to send them away. You see that pattern in the church at Antioch of Syria. It had seven trained leaders. And God said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work for, to which I've called them to do. And so God sends them away guess what then is left in your local church? The leadership vacuum. Have you considered that that's where we are right now in our church? And we need to rise to the challenge. It's not anyone else's responsibility. This is our time. It's our time. It's the younger generation's time. If you're my age and younger, it's your time. Rise to the challenge. Develop yourself By the grace of God, through the teachings of the word, put yourself under the teaching of the Bible, build a relationship, be mentored, and rise to the position of leadership. Leadership is influence. Use your life to influence others. It's our time. Our time is so quick. Our life is but a vapor. We have to continue the chain. As Paul told Timothy, the things that you have heard from me the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, so we need to, to pass that chain down. That's one of our, our greatest needs right now here at Calvary is to develop and to raise up leadership. That's, I would just be honest with you, that that's what you can pray for, all right? So if anything, right now, start with prayer. And we need deacons, we need deaconesses, we need Sunday school teachers, we need all kinds of people. Servant leadership. And uh, so this is what we need. And so Paul and Barnabas appointed all of their leaders. And they raised and they trained these people. Then we see uh, at the end of the chapter, uh, verses 14 through 25, all right, um, that they returned to Antiochia. Now there's some uh, pictures of the cities. Which picture went with which city, I couldn't tell you. Uh, But these are the actual, I, you know, typed in and and found these images. And so I know that these are images of those cities. They were real places. They existed. Uh, It was very interesting. Um, One of my students was very quick this last week to catch on. That the Bible, when it mentions a place, you can go dig in the dirt and find it. When it's the Book of Mormon mentions a place, you're not going to find it. All right? Because all their cities are myth. All right? So this is one of the differences. Now, they went back to give a report of the grace of God, verses 25 through 28. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attalia, and there they sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended by the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all the things that God had done with them, Now he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles, and there they abode long time with the disciples. This is why we like to have our missionaries come through and give reports. Um, Sometimes what's going on at home becomes ordinary to us. But when there's someone that we have partnered with and we've sent them out, and they come back and share the stories of what God is doing, I get excited. Because I know God is at work in the world. And that makes me open my eyes for how God is working right here in Hollister. Um, When you see what God is doing in Myanmar, uh, a country that's going through genocide right now, but the believers are still sharing their faith. When you see what God is doing in Singapore, when you see what God is doing in the Philippines, what you see God is doing in France, what you see God is doing in Hong Kong, what you see God is doing throughout the Caribbean through radio ministry, when you see what God is doing in Kenya, you get excited. What's going on in Kenya? Well, the Messlers have put together a team and they've trained nationals. And now the nationals are at the Bible college level where they're training their own. And they're releasing and sending them out to other parts of the world. And this is really exciting. And so they understood the New Testament pattern. And so they gave a report to their home church. So that's one reason why we do that. So the Apostle Paul worked in key cities. Um, it wasn't a rural religion. Christianity was very much a, a metropolitan religion. The apostle established local churches. Now, I know that uh, church planting is something that a lot of people talk about, but actually very few churches do. And uh, be involved in helping churches get started. Um, Churches get started all the time. You just need to ask God, you know, hey, can I give a weekend? Can I drive over maybe four hours? Can I pass out flyers for one afternoon to help this church get started? How many of you ever heard of uh, Kerman, California? I remember it by saying Kermit, all right? But kerman it's over by Fresno. And a young man by the name of Tom Boonstra um, several years ago started a church there. They're in their own building now. And they're training leaders, and they're reaching their community for Christ. And the Central Valley is growing in population. It's exciting to see what God is doing, even in California. So we'll be praying for local churches to be established. But then he taught the believers how to do the job. And so tonight, let's just close out by going to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll show you uh, the, the responsibility of ministry Lies upon the pastor to train people how to do it, but for the people actually to do the work of the ministry. So, Ephesians chapter four, we come down to verse eleven, and the Lord gives spiritual leaders, uh, and He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastor teacher. Right, that's one group for the perfecting of the saints. Now. Greek doesn't have a comma. So for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. The saints do the work of the ministry. That's exciting. So what is your ministry in the local church? And the result is that the body of Christ is edified. It's built up. So he taught the believers how to do the job. So I know that the job description of the deacons and the deaconesses, um, well, that's doing the work of the ministry. That's exciting to me. But that needs to be taught to the next generation. It has to be passed down. And so we have to teach the believers how to do the work of the ministry. So Paul evangelized the Roman world. Uh, without a printing press, without a radio station, television station, airplanes, or any modern devices available to us. Well, with all of our advances today, we should be able to do as much or even more by the grace of God. To whom much has been given, much shall be required. And so for the future ministry of our church, let's pray for the next generation of leaders to come online. Let's close tonight and ask God to allow us to live his life through our lives.